1: So I've had a long night into this morning waking up at 6:25 but obviously some very very big news on the US national team uh equal pay front with the settlement at now kind of in the proposal stage. And so just to, you know, lay the groundwork, if folks haven't read the, the articles yet, um, there's a $22 million payment on the table from U.S. soccer to the players involved in the lawsuit for equal pay, an extra $2 million in a fund that's going to go to post-playing careers or charitable endeavors. Um, part of the, the big kind of asterisk on this very great news for the day, though, is that this is all contingent upon the new collective bargaining agreement for uh, the next term uh, between the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, the actual union and U.S. soccer being approved. And then also all of this is happening against the landscapes of the U.S. soccer presidential election. So we've got a lot to talk about, uh, to say the least. But Steph, I just wanted to get your first reaction of when you found out that a settlement had even happened
0: um i landed in boston late last night coming back from la she believes i turned on my phone and it went you have 500 <laughs> new messages <laughs> roughly give or take and i was like oh something happened and then i was like oh something happened so that is how i found out yeah, yeah.
1: so it really was kind of an experience um, last night of, of, you know, a, a few people got kind of a heads up of this is in the works, obviously six 30. Um, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, Cindy Parlo Cone going on the morning shows. Right. Um, I spoke to Megan Rapinoe and Cindy Parlocone. Cone. Um, it was kind of amusing because our call started <laughs> with Megan Rapinoe being like, please turn your camera on so I can make sure you're alive. <laughs> um, but it really is, you know, I, I think what really struck me when I was talking to Pino even is that she was barely even kind of processing how big this felt. And, you know, as two people who have been on uh, around this from kind of the start back when it goes back to EEOC, but really even before, I mean, there has been some version of this fight for two decades now with this team, two decades plus. Um, and it is kind of. A moment that I think we need to actually stop and appreciate and it's coming so closely on the heels of the NWL CBA too so in terms of like big days in the sport today feels big right like I, it's not just me
0: I mean it, it, it does feel big I I'm sure we'll get into the nitty-gritty of how things are going I think you mentioned the other thing about this being contingent upon the ratification of CBA like we, you're not going to make an agreement over 22 million plus another $2 million contingent on something like that, unless you're reasonably sure that ratification is going to happen as well. So it feels like, you know, like everything happens so much. It's all happening.
1: (laughs) That is, I mean, that is the vibe of the sport we cover for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the fact that it's contingent upon the CBA because another part of this too is also what i find really interesting is we don't have a cba in place yet cindy parlor cone when we spoke was saying listen we everyone wants to get this done right they're having multiple meetings a week she said the players are are super engaged that's everything that i've been hearing from the the player side as well is that both like the conversations are extremely extremely active and now there is this deadline of I think really trying to get the CBA across the line before the U.S. soccer presidential election. You just spoke to Cindy Parlocone about that. So can you kind of layer in maybe that background of why this presidential election has kind of played a role, not just in the settlement, but now especially for the CBA?
0: Well, as we know, Cindy Parlocone is running and her only opponent is Carlos Cordero, whose um, situation she inherited real situationship. That's the thing that kids are saying these days, I think, right? Situationship. And she talked about how up until now, and even still now, really she's been reacting to existing issues, and I don't want to say like her hands are 100% clean because she was vice president before this. She's been involved in, in the structure of U.S. soccer, but obviously she wasn't the person at its head where, you know, the buck stops with the president in some cases, in some ways. So now that she's president, um, has been like kind of putting out fires left and right also during COVID, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you mentioned in your article that the U, uh, U.S. Soccer's financial reserves took a huge hit, as as did everybody's because of COVID, um, from about 120 million to 40 million dollars, which, you know, 22 million is a is a much bigger percentage of 40 million than 120. Um, we don't know how they're going to structure that payout. I assume they're not going to send them a big cardboard check that says 22 million oh. written on it, but you know, uh, so uh, in the context of the election, the more that Cindy Parlow cohn can resolve, because remember, she also cleared up another lawsuit before this pretty much as soon as she came in, I think with U.S. Soccer Foundation. Um, that was an argument, I believe, over the usage of the name like U.S. Soccer Foundation, something like that. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, and she's also, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, they're also having to talk to the men's national team about their CBA. So the more that she can get resolved and say, look, I got everything buttoned up and now we can focus on 2026 and then bringing other big events in and actually focus on making more money and like doing stuff for our member organizations. they have got, you know, 50 youth organizations. They've got the Paralympic teams. They've got beach soccer. They've got futsal. They have, they have the youth programs for God's sake, you know, instead of putting out fires and reacting to all these crises, now we can finally do something for our members. And so I think that she's hoping that'll be a big selling point when she's like, I cleaned up my predecessors' messes. Yes,
1: yes. And, and I think that has been a real vibe of her election messaging, right? That kind of forward, not back. Um, though it feels a little more polite maybe than <laughs> how I'm describing it. Yeah. Um, And I think what is really interesting, too, is that you do have all of those different kind of components of U.S. soccer. Right. The governing body is not just the senior national teams. But what I what I do find really interesting is I I had not realized, actually, just because I think of the injury that the fiscal year 2021 documents from U.S. soccer had been put up on the website, And so I was scanning through those last night and. No, this had been kind of previously reported, but I mean, they spent $9 million in one fiscal year alone just on one law firm for the equal pay lawsuit. So even just in terms of like the amount of money that the federation was bleeding on legal costs is kind of absurd. Like I think probably over the span of this entire thing, they have spent more money fighting the lawsuit than they have actually spent on the settlement. And so it does kind of come back to that fundamental question of, well, if we had just addressed the EEOC complaint back in 2016, when this er- was originally filed, or had the EEOC also even picked it up back in the day, because they became very involved in the lawsuit and the appeal, especially, like how much cost probably could have been avoided and cost to public opinion, too. It just, it's a good day, but also sometimes I have to just kind of sit here and be like, yeah, what What are we doing here, truly?
0: I mean, if I were Cindy Parlo-Cohen or any presidential candidate, I'd be like uh, focusing on that part where like an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure, right? So if you had a truly forward-thinking leader who's trying to bring this sports governing body into the modern age, huge ask for any sporting governing body in the United States, not just soccer, as we've seen. If you're a sporting governing body in the United States, maybe anywhere, that's probably a topic for another live room. But huge ordeal right? Trying to bring something like that into the modern age and be proactive about things like this. Like, I think if you are someone who thinks about these things, you could have seen something like this coming. If you have your fingers on the right pulses, like you would have sensed, you know, there there's rumblings, there there's there's discontent. And also like we need to come into compliance with like modern standards when it comes to labor relations. Um, that's I, I know it's technically a nonprofit, but this is a labor dispute and just I don't know the, this it, it feels like in many ways, not just with this labor stuff in the CBA, US soccer has really dinosaur attitudes. And so if I were any of the voting members and I'd look at the leadership of US. soccer, I want the person who's going to try and like get ahead of problems like this instead of just having to stamp out fires as they crop up. Yeah, yes.
1: I I did want to let's let's sidestep for a second here, because I did want to ask you if you have a favorite kind of ridiculous moment from the past (laughs) years of this. Because I have a couple contenders just in terms of, I mean, the late nights that I had, right, like reading through legal filings and trying to make sense of them and and turn them into articles, but also some of the just the absurd stuff that was in the filings, too. Obviously, that also resulted in Carlos Cordero resigning. But... (laughs) I mean, I just remember discovering that, like, shall we fight it out passage from Carly Lloyd <laughs> uh, trying to fight back against the lawyers who are trying to pin this argument of, you know, the women have different responsibilities. they're The men are stronger and fitter and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I also really do appreciate the letter that was put into evidence from Becky Sauerbrunn to her fellow players that was really kind of this call to action of we have to support the NW cell, which was a very pure thing that was just kind of a random uh, supporting document and a sea of nonsense.
0: I mean, sea of nonsense is probably God. Reading through the, the like the depositions and stuff, it, it really was like, it's, in a way, it's like dispassionate because it's just the words printed out, but you could feel the tension of like the lawyers right trying to pin down the national team players into basically admitting, like just admit to us that you are inferior based on your gender. That line of questioning, you know? And then it brings us once again, back to like Carlos Cordero's like, I had no idea that this was the legal tactic or the language that they were going to use. And then you're like, well, okay, maybe he didn't read the actual filing. He trusted the lawyer. Like the client says, all right, just do this. And the legal firm says, okay, and then we'll reasonably use whatever tactic we believe, although I still think that that's a major lack of oversight. And then the other one being recently with the Rory Dames reporting and how they're in our reporting and, and Washington Post reporting, like, you know, saying Kristen Press went to U.S. soccer and told somebody about what was going on, at least two complaints, and he's like, I wasn't aware of that either. And it's like, well, then what does U.S. soccer's president? Do? What is the structure of U.S. soccer that the president is not aware of critical issues like this? And so once again, it goes back to like, I think I was saying about the president being someone who can get ahead of things and have a more modern approach to the issues that come up when you're heading a national governing sporting organization. yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, and just for full context, like if people aren't really familiar with this role, the the president role is actually very interesting because it's not really a full time position. Right. And there's actually a a byline proposal on the table that was submitted by the Athletes Council. We the governance of U.S. soccer is a, a fascinating journey that we do not have time for. But just know that the athletes have actually proposed that the president is paid a salary because right now it is not a paid position. And so the proposal is that it would be salaried at $125,000 a year. And that is, I think, for the intent of actually like empowering someone to be like, Oh no, this is actually a job though. There's also, you know, the people within soccer house of us soccer, someone like a Will Wilson, right. Who is kind of a paid employee who's maybe doing more of the nuts and bolts running of the federation so Mm -hmm. there is kind of this weird limitation of power but at the same time i based on everything i've heard and all of the players i've talked to like over the the whole kind of process is that when cindy parlo cone came in the tone of the conversations changed and this getting across the line really does not happen without her even with kind of that limitation of her role And I think that's so fascinating, especially as a, a, you know, 99er who went through her own (laughs) wage dispute with U.S. soccer to have someone in that room who is who's now kind of seen both sides.
0: I think, yes, we probably need our own live room just to talk about, like, the structure of the governance. And if you really want to be a nerd about it, I believe U.S. soccer posts their bylaws on their their website. Yeah. So you can go and look up the actual responsibilities of each officer, including the president of the federation. And, you know, I think really quickly that this kind of is a a giant clue as to why we've had presidents of the federation that we've had. Like you go back and look at Sunil Ghalati his actual day job was he was an economics professor at Columbia University. And then Carlos Cordero had his own day job. And Cindy Parlacone cone as well has her own day job. I believe she's um, a director of youth soccer for a North Carolina football club right now. So she spends her days coaching youth soccer in order to earn her actual paycheck. And I think it also points to, like, who can afford to run for president of U.S. soccer up until now? You have to have a job that pays the bills and has the flexibility that lets you also go do this presidential stuff, which is in and of itself pretty much almost a full-time job, but has been 100% quote unquote volunteer up until now. So when you think about the economics of it and who, you know, within U S soccer's pool of candidates has the economic availability and time availability to devote to being an unpaid, basically full-time employee of U.S. soccer, maybe things start to make a little more sense around who's been president and who hasn't.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just remember talking to Cindy Parlow cohn at a, a game last fall, and obviously it was kind of like in the immediate aftermath of all of the Paul Riley reporting that we had done at The Athletic and everything kind of about <laughs> everything that had happened, right? And um, I just kind of remember thinking, like, you're adding all of this, like, this is not a recipe for success because you are still trying to do your normal life and then have this huge kind of sweeping crisis come in at the same time. And like, there are probably better ways to handle this and making it a paid position is honestly, I think a necessary thing. But I do want to swing us back around onto the topic of, you know, straight up kind of equal pay stuff in terms of, you know, CBA is now obviously the next thing that we are waiting for and one of the the things that i have said many many times in like media stuff when i try to like go out and explain like it's a lot more complicated than just saying equal pay right um you know i've seen a lot of questions already of like what does this mean in terms of how they're going to get paid the rate of pay how the world cup thing is going to work and ultimately right now like we just don't know because we have to wait for the CBA
2: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right Courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MicelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
0: Fans are really great at waiting for more information. And so are we. I love waiting.
1: I mean, I think what is really interesting about this though is that I I, I asked Cindy Parlocone at one of like the media availabilities that we had, I think, after a board meeting, kind of like how do you when you're trying to approach this right because now we're also looking at the situation of u.s soccer has declared we're not going to do a women's national team cba without the men coming to the table at the same time do i think that's going to happen i'm very curious to find out i'll put it that way but you they have said okay we're going to have equal pay right um across world cups and how that gets defined is obviously still a question mark but i think the easiest possible solution is and what we have seen other countries do like in australia or any number of them is you equalize the rate of the payout right so you aren't necessarily compensating for the disparity in prize money though that has obviously been a push for the players this whole time Um, but you can say you're getting the same cuts and that now is going to be something where i'm really fascinated to see what version of that they land on because i really cba negotiations are are as just having reported on the Cell ones like you can have some sense of maybe what the conversation is but until you get that final document it's kind of hard to know what's happening
0: I'm interested partially in this stuff about the players will actually divide up the $22 million payment amongst themselves. Um, and also worried about this $2 million fund, which sounds like a lot, but you know, if each player can apply apply for up to 50 grand, if everybody gets the max, that's only 24 total maximum. I think if my math is correct, I wanna, am I? <laughs> Wait a minute. No, is it 20? Is that 20? Yeah. 20 yeah. times 50 is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but, but <laughs> obviously there's not going to be exactly right. But yeah. like, so I'm like, oh, are, are they allowed to structure it so that they can actually put that 2 million and they can invest it and then they can pay out of like dividends and stuff, which would be, if I were a player, I'd be like $2 million runs out fast. So let's create like through the Women's National Team Players Association, some kind of investment fund and we'll have like a trustee who's allowed. This is getting a little bit too (laughs) more onto the financial (laughs) side. But I am interested in like this, what it suggests about like the labor relations within the group that the players are going to be responsible for dividing up, which is smart, I think, because they're the ones who know their needs best and they're not going to have U.S. soccer coming in and being like, well, it has to go to X and Y and Z and A, B, C way. Um, I, yeah, I, waiting for more information is 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 very difficult because I'm so curious.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I also have the fundamental question of, you know, 28 players brought the lawsuit, right? But also the it was a class action lawsuit, essentially. So they brought in more players for both the Equal Pay Act and the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So actually the number of players that could potentially get a play out a payout as part of this 22 million is much larger than just 28 and all we have to work from right at the moment is that the players are going to determine how that 22 million is split up and then it will be approved by the judge but we don't have really anything to work from there all right before we keep going i know that there are some questions now in the text chat but also Um, subscribers, again, there is apparently a mechanism to request to get on stage to actually ask us a question. Um, I cannot super tell you how that works, but I believe in all of you, um, figuring that out for yourselves because we are all technically very smart. Um, but first I do want to address a couple. So I know that we just talked about who is eligible for the back pay. Um, I do want to address this settlement, um, does this mean that the players have less negotiating power in CBA negotiations stuff? What is your read on that? Because I think no.
0: Does this settlement mean they have less power in CBA negotiations, meaning I, I guess it, they, they got what they really wanted. So they're asking like, Oh, do they have less leverage over U S soccer to get the other things that they want?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's the question is, okay, you get this win, does that weaken your hand for the CBA negotiation? But I think, honestly, the, the U.S. soccer presidential election bearing down at the start of March is still such a huge motivating factor for both sides because the players don't want to negotiate with Carlos Cordero if he wins.
0: Yeah, You also have to think, like, the longer it draws out, the more time and money they have to spend on this. So it's, you know everybody kind of benefits from a, a swift resolution here when it comes to like this employee, like labor negotiation. So I don't think they necessarily have lost leverage. I think there's still motivation to get things buttoned up and not have to be coasting on yet another memorandum of understanding the way they did with the last CBA.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I also think that there is a real factor of, what has been a very interesting challenge of trying to explain the lawsuit over the past couple of years to folks is that it was such a separate process from the collective bargaining agreement and they were two different groups right the players who had filed the lawsuit overlapped with the players association but it's two it was two distinct processes for so long and now they are tied in a way that I honestly didn't really anticipate um, though obviously the collective bargaining agreement was always going to be kind of the future of the team and equal pay and all that kind of stuff. And the lawsuit was always looking back at the issue of back pay and how they felt that they had been historically discriminated against. But to tie the settlement to the CBA now obviously ties these two things together in a much more like intimate way. And I think. Again, the wind does not necessarily weaken collective bargaining, but also the key players in the lawsuit are not necessarily the key players that are in the room during negotiation sessions.
0: I whenever we talk about labor negotiations, unfortunately, I always go to like the lessons that I've learned on communication and therapy, um, because w- when you come to a negotiation like this there's i think an outward perception that it's an inherently antagonistic uh, process and in many cases it can be but you know i don't necessarily think especially with Cindy Parlacone now in the role and the statements particularly today that you know Megan Rapinoe gave and they've talked before about how they know that Parlacone comes from the player perspective that it can it doesn't have to be like players versus U.S. soccer. It can be U.S. soccer and the players together figuring out the problem of, like, how do we continue to have a U.S. women's national team that is correctly compensated for their labor? Um, I don't know if that's actually how it is, but I am basing it just based on statements that players have made in which they've, like, kind of painted their understanding of Cindy Parlacone in a positive light.
1: Right, right. And Cindy probably again does have a role in both of these things, right? Settlement has always been, I mean, that that has been kind of a consistent drumbeat of every public statement she's ever made of like, we want to settle the, Like there's no reason to have this go through the court system. The, the better solution for everyone is us coming to the table. And so I think when she said, you know, last night, listen, we're having multiple CBA sessions a week. The players are super engaged. Um, It's also, I mean, it is such a different process right at the moment for the U.S. Women's National Team, though there is that kind of huge concept to negotiate of equal pay. And you have to now do it in concert with the men's national team, PA. But there's still a a document that they are working from. Whereas you look at the NWSL CBA process and that was starting from scratch and how long that took (laughs) Um, the, the long, long journey god bless megan burke and the nwsl pa negotiating committee and and all of them right like that that was a year and a half long process and here you do kind of have some fundamental things even if maybe you're blowing up some of the fundamental concepts that that the women's national team as a union had previously prioritized that kind of foundation and stability because the league was always you know a risk right so we don't have allocation money in the or allocation status in the NWL anymore, right? So they've already kind of had some elements of what they had been building this thing around removed in a good way, and now you get to build from there.
0: Look, most of us can't even get along with our roommates, so negotiating a full labor agreement that governs, you know, aspects not just of your paycheck but your treatment by your employer for the next however long years you know, bless the energy you must have taken. Right. right.
1: Um, So, all right, let me, let me check in on the chat here. What impact does the settlement have on hope? Solo's lawsuit is a question. Uh, Ultimately really nothing because it is its own lawsuit. And that one has been very quiet for a while. Um, I know that a, a few other people have been kind of trying to get an assessment of where that thing stands, but because it, is its own lawsuit and she had basically split off from um she was on the original EEOC complaint um but now has her own lawsuit so i I would fundamentally think that they would if they are trying to find a settlement with her come up with a settlement directly with her and her lawyers that is independent of this right stuff yeah person who actually Um, went to law school (laughs)
0: <laughs> please don't say that because it puts so much pressure on me to get things right. I went to law school so long ago. I never practiced law. I, I always have to preface that with, Oh, you went to law school. I'm like, yeah, but, um, I hated it. So I, I also, I also wonder just like from her perspective, like, okay, she's bringing this lawsuit, but my sense of hope Solo is that she's not necessarily doing it for the money. She's doing it to apply pressure and to put a spotlight on an issue that she wants to be vocal about. So if U.S. soccer wants to quietly settle on the side, you know, I, I, I actually wouldn't look to the law for this. I would look to like, well, what's our knowledge of like how Hope Solo has interacted with the Federation in the past when it's come to them being like, Hey, can we quietly take care of this problem over here? Right.
1: right. right. I know U.S. soccer head, um argued to transfer her like Solo's case in essentially to the overall... The, the thing is like that lawsuit has never really had kind of the juice, right, of the primary one. And again, I think to your point, it's perfect. Like that felt like really trying to be an outside agitator, right? She had nothing to lose. And so I think she felt like she could be a much stronger voice of like, no F you, I'm going to I'm going to get this done, right? And
0: oh, sorry, sure. Yeah, and she's also, I think, publicly kind of disagreed with some aspects of the national team's approach to this as well. So I think she was like, okay, then I'll do it the way that I want to do it. Yes, yes.
1: I think I she found the player's approach far too conciliatory, which <laughs> not shocking, right, considering pretty much everything we know. Um, so, all right, we do actually have a request to speak. I know that there are, there are a few more questions in the chat, but let me bring up is that will be let's let's test this out i promise we're friendly will be you have now joined the stage you are an athletic
2: employee Hello. I, I might i might be i might be um <laughs> I, I was just more curious about sort of the angle between the two national teams coming out of the lawsuit and and i think someone may have asked this in the chat but going forward does this mean the two teams will negotiate their cbas together or are they still going to continue to do that separately
1: Yeah, I mean, the Federation sure would love for them to negotiate together. Um, The two players associations don't really uh, vibe with that as a concept because really the two national teams, again, historically have prioritized a couple of different things. But also, I think they have found kind of leapfrogging each other's CBAs to be mutually beneficial to some extent um so that way you know if if the men's national team gets charter flights in theory the women could then be like hey they got charter flights you have to give us charter flights but Mm -hmm. we are now in theory waiting to see if because of the equal pay proposition right and u.s soccer saying we've got to figure this out with both the men's pa and women's pa at the same time and they are now listening in to each other's negotiation sessions there is going to be a real factor of these two unions maybe influencing each other, but I wouldn't probably characterize it as bargaining together at this point. Steph, do you, is that right?
0: Yes. I think that's pretty much exactly the nail on the head. Yeah.
1: All right. Again, you can, um, please feel free to request to speak. That is apparently the button I believe kind of maybe potentially bottom right corner. Um, we are very friendly people, but I will still, um, keep, Going into I know a, a few people have brought up the Sally Yates investigation, um, Chicago Red Star stuff. Right. Obviously, we've already brought up the the Paul Riley stuff. And, um, you know, I think all of these things are happening at the same time. And I think what we've also seen from the NWSL CBA, too, is that some of the more basic foundational stuff, right, in terms of salary and pay and all that Makes players feel more secure, but I really do think that generally the investigation from that is being kind of I don't want to say run by U.S. Soccer because it's not it's it's independent, but the Sally Yates investigation and kind of all this other stuff are running on tracks that are not necessarily intersecting with each other. Though obviously everyone involved is kind of aware of all of these ongoing situations, but. I think it also, you know, probably gave the players a little bit of additional power, considering basically all of the past year. (laughs) 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 Everything we've lived through. Steph, here's one. Is there really a chance that Cordero wins this election?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's putting his name back in and subjecting himself to all this and having people dredge up, you know, how he resigned in disgrace just because he's like, eh, I don't have anything else better to do, and that that proposed salary sounds so great. It, like I would love to make that amount of money, but it's it's actually pretty much just the the living wage for a person in that position, especially if they're gonna have to live in Chicago. Um, I think we've been talking about the senior teams a lot, but as usual, I think youth and like state youth associations are uh, they have their a decent amount of power in terms of voting blocks. And you look at that and you're like, why are you always paying attention to the senior national teams? We matter too. We have a lot of constituents and you need us. Cindy Parla Cone was very quick to point it out that like when they're trying to activate, you know, across the country for the world cup, it's not like U S soccer knows where to go and what to do in, in Vermont or whatever. Right. So you have to go through, <laughs> the 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 state associations and particularly if you're trying to drive a lot of ticket sales to who you know enjoys soccer um if you're in a state that maybe doesn't have like a big mls market or a strong usl team you're going to be like we need to go through the state youth association because that's going to be who's going to proselytize for us and you know also part of their mission is to grow soccer in the united states it's not just about you know, using the youth soccer associations in order to, to dry sales, although that is part of it. But like, if your mission is to grow soccer in the United States, that's kind of, where it all starts, right, at the youth level. So, you know, if you these youth associations, they see, like, okay, the pie is already smaller due to COVID, and now the national teams are getting this huge chunk of it. What's left for us? And then Carlos Cordero comes in and is like, well, I didn't promise them $22 million. I'll give you whatever, you know, I promise to be a president for all our members, which is kind of what every president promises and then promptly doesn't necessarily (laughs) do that, right? It's an election. Um, But, yeah, I don't think he's in this for... Are we allowed to swear <laughs> i mean
1: it's us i would say yes
0: yeah i don't think he's in this for shits and giggles yeah yeah
1: i mean i think the general consensus about carlos cordero is he's not running without a path for success and you know i i think the two of us can feel you know kind of one way in our little corner of the world which is very women's national team driven but the thing that is going to be on a lot of people's minds when they are casting their vote is the 2026 world cup and how that's going to shake out for them and that's the factor that i think is a lot harder to predict but one one thing that i think people should really keep in mind in terms of how the uh balance of power has shifted a bit in the governance of u.s soccer which was actually forced by a federal law um that is coming out of kind of all the ramifications of the entire mess of USA gymnastics is that athletes have been given more power and have to have essentially like one third of the votes of a national governing body. And so that whole changeover of how many voting members were athletes of US soccer, um, finally got through, they came into compliance. And that's going to play a real factor in this election because you're going to have to be really, really kind of, overwhelmingly organized to get around that voting block. And if the players feel like they have now kind of seen enough from Cindy Parlocone, that could be enough to carry her through the
0: election. That athletes council.
1: Who doesn't love a good governance talk on a Tuesday afternoon (laughs) when we're, we're, this is the, this is the thing though, like what I find really important in, in all of these conversations, and it's not just about the equal pay lawsuit, but it's also again about, all of the problems of NWSL that we have seen come to light over the past year or two is that, you know, we get these kind of big days of attention grabbing news headlines, right? $22 million for the settlement. And like some of these days are good. I think today is actively a good day for the sport. Some of the days are very bad. But the stuff that actually kind of counts in between all of these days is the governance and trying to get meaningful coverage of the governance of U.S. soccer, which is honestly sometimes like staring into a black hole.
0: (laughs) Well, like Robert's rules of order are not sexy like <laughs> multi-million dollar payouts are sexy and that's what people want to hear about and they want to hear about this feel good like the women achieved equal pay we don't want to know about the payment structure that's boring i don't want to hear about taxation rates on 22 million and if this is classified as income or windfall or something like that i don't want to hear about that just tell me they got equal pay and they get to fly on the nice jet
2: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news
1: It start, like, let's let's come back to today's news. I think maybe five more minutes. Again, if you have any questions, please feel free to hit that request to speak button, um, and we can try to get them answered for you. But, you know, I think Megan Rapinoe kind of summed it up as there were three parts of this, right? Right. I, I think actually, I'm sorry, it was Alex, Alex Morgan said there were three parts. There was the back pay issue, right, for the World Cups especially. There was the working conditions part of it hotels airplanes medical staff all of that kind of stuff which was resolved in its own settlement back in december 2020 and then there's the future part of it which is the equal pay moving forward via the collective bargaining agreement so yes the cba is still very much that giant thing that is hanging over all of the rest of this but what i do think is what makes today so good is that we finally kind of got resolution on all three of those things in some form. And again, that it does feel like a win for the Federation. And that win could have come a lot earlier, right? I mean, I remember being in City Hall Plaza in New York City for the the victory parade and then the presentation um, for the 2019 World Cup team and watching Carlos Cordero get shut down by equal pay chance. Um, There were so many chances for them to do kind of the easy win to get out ahead of it. But we have finally gotten there. And I think it's okay to actually kind of like sit and simmer in this day and actually feel like something got accomplished for once.
0: I'm just remembering in 2019 when Megan Rapino gave that speech and she's like, I think Carlos is going to do the right thing. <laughs> and then...
1: <laughs> Spoiler, he did not do the right thing.
0: Right, so... Cut to three years later.
1: Yeah, I mean, and also like, three years. Even, yeah. But also thinking about, you know, Carlos Cordero's exit as president. Right. Like, obviously, the the it is really funny to have this moment come in the middle of a She Believes Cup, because that's what we were going through <laughs> two years ago when they did the protest with the inside out shirts right like u.s women's national team players love a nice symbol love a good team protest um and it's also as the pandemic is starting and it's still holding national attention as these terrible legal arguments come to light sponsors are revolting carlos cordero steps down cindy parlo moves into the presidential office but it does feel oddly fitting that we are now in the middle of another She Believes Cup and yeah. getting the resolution.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think the players are obviously kind of, first of all, they're in a tournament setting. It doesn't matter if it's friendly or not. They're they're still in camp. So U.S. Soccer did cancel match day minus one press today uh, when normally they would have had a call with black cones and players to preview the game. But I think they rightfully assumed that all questions were going to be about the lawsuit and the CBA. And so they were like, it's probably a combo of the players not wanting to be distracted right before they play, I believe it's Iceland um, and also mm-hmm. not being ready to talk about it because it's not done yet. And so there's going to be asked like, so what do you, how do you feel about it? They're like, I like money.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So um, I just saw a question come into the chat in terms of which players are involved in the CBA negotiations. So if you actually go to uswntplayers.com, on the players tab, there's actually a whole um, guide to who is currently a voting member of the union, who is on the CBA committee. The CBA committee is Alex Morgan. Um, let me keep scrolling here. Um, I know Midge is on it. Question mark. Kelly O'Hara. I think they're more in an advisory committee. Lynn Williams, Midge Purse, and Tierna Davidson. So I think Midge... Lynn and Tierna are actually really taking the lead from a player point of view, but someone like the director of the U S women's national team PA Becca Rue is in the room and I would assume legal counsel as well, for sure.
0: I mean, those young players, it's really nice to see. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that's,
1: that's one of the very cool things. And I think again, to, to circle back to the end of the cell CBA is just seeing players step up and taking on, leadership roles but also like cb negotiations are again to to talk about things that are not exactly sexy like you're sending back like red line documents back and forth it's not really super fun work and uh i wouldn't probably think any of them are coming into this experience as some sort of expert on labor negotiations so it's really another big example of so many players trying to step up to be leaders but also learning stuff on the fly very rapidly in order to advocate for themselves.
0: The, the track changes in the Google docs must be (laughs) (laughs) absolutely
1: wild. (laughs) Just, you know, like probably, I mean, the, the U S women's national team CBA as it exists right now is a pretty healthy document. So um, I have stared at it far too much over the years. Um, I will be pretty curious to see what, what version we eventually get, but, All right, last call for questions. If you would like to get one last one in, hit that request to speak button. Yes, Richard H, this conversation audio will be archived. If you want to listen back to it, it will be in the podcast feed for full time with Meg Linehan, which is on Apple and Spotify and the athletic website and really anywhere that you want to listen to a podcast. So um, we'll get that up later on this afternoon. Um, but last call for questions, so that way Steph and I can uh, start getting ready for some afternoon Zooms on this front. Oh, all right, we got one. Samuel, you there?
2: Hi, yes. Uh, calling from Germany, so I apologize for my potentially terrible English. Oh, good. Um, uh, just circling back to the CBA, I've seen a lot of celebration on like social media and stuff, and players have spoken out, and like Biden has spoken out. Um, does this mean that the CBA is potentially in like its last stages? We've seen this with the NWSL just recently. i um, just wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: I, I do think that I don't know if it's in its last stages. I think that there's probably going to be a lot of late nights for folks over the next couple of weeks. But I'm kind of looking at it of the presidential election is an informal deadline that is set for March 5th but they do technically have until march 31st so there is a little bit of wiggle room there um it is kind of hard to anticipate how much really a change in the president would affect cba negotiations because this is happening kind of at a federation level but i do think that the election is going to have an have an impact but cindy parlo cone said last night we're meeting multiple times a week players are engaged. So, I they're I think they're doing everything they can to get that across the line and get it done, but I don't think we would be hearing about this today if they felt like this thing was really going to go sideways in the next couple of weeks. I'll put it that way. Stuff so you feel like that's that's accurate.
0: You're not going to hitch these things together and then make a public announcement about how you hitch these two things together unless you were reasonably certain that there was a high probability that it was going to happen. I also have to say, every single person I've met from Germany who's like, I'm sorry about my terrible English, and then goes on to speak in flawless English. I don't know what it is, and then I'm just sitting here in my little American lump, like, yeah, Dankeschön." <laughs> All right. <Samuel. laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank
1: you. Thank you. All right, one last call. But otherwise, we will... I'm gonna honestly eat a donut, I think, after this as a celebration. Get some new ice for my knee.
0: <laughs> oh your your little leg just snapped in out like the
1: weight. Alright, John, we got you. All right, John, you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep.
2: So for the CBA, historically the women have gotten a um a guaranteed salary, uh, because their market, the club market, doesn't really pay them enough to maybe subsist off of that. Whereas the men have that have that luxury. Do you foresee the the upcoming CBA either th- that remaining or that ha- or the women having to give up that uh, going forward?
1: My guess is the guarantee kind of is gone, but that's just a guess. Steph, do you? I mean. Obviously, NWSL changes have, have played a role already. But Steph, do you have a guess <gasps> on this front?
0: This is ties into why you mentioned uh, kind of at the top of what we were talking about. It's so hard to talk to people about all the context of this because the context, like, you almost have to go back into, like, the, the 1980s, the history of women's soccer, right, to explain how we got to where we are today and why structures are the way they are, um, you know, can you repeat the question i just went mm-hmm. like zigzag like i was running from an alligator
2: sorry do you need me to repeat my question yeah go for it so yeah I, 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 you get to the heart of it where like people just don't necessarily forget the context that the men have had enjoyed the club environment where they have huge amounts of monies Uh, And so a men's national team player can can afford to be only paid per per game, whereas the women historically were so under financed that, you know, they really couldn't, uh, uh, you know, bet on themselves financially, you know, all that type of stuff. So I feel like that's a huge point for the women like the because the right even the club salaries today aren't anywhere near their financial stability. So I'm just wondering like going forward, if the women can really bet on themselves and, and and do this a similar pay structure as the men when their club salaries currently are not even close to what the men's get. Right.
0: Uh, That, that is like, it's going to be interesting. I think like five to eight years from now where we're going to, see like what dominoes fell and created what chain reaction. I think there's all kinds of things that you can look at and speculate about how maybe this is going to create a ripple effect. For example, the expansion into West Coast markets for NWSL and the way Angel City and San Diego Wave have kind of been behaving like we're just going to assume that These should be like this level of business and we're not going to pay attention to like what NWSL has been um, or like the stuff with Michelle Kong and the Washington Spirit and her valuation and her being like, okay, I paid however much, 35 million or whatever for this team. And so I'm going to treat this like a 35 million dollar property and not, you know, a a five million dollar one or a 10 million dollar one, because, you know, you look at the valuation of how Kansas City current were acquired. And I think that was reported around, like they were valued around 5 million. And Michelle Kong's was like, N- no, this is a $35 million kind of club or, or more. So I think we will maybe not totally feel the impact of these ripples until a few years down the line, when we can see more how it plays out, the interaction, like you said. Yeah, club situation has been completely different for men and women. And so that's part of why you, you always have to <laughs> when you're t- trying to talk to people about this nuance, you're like, let's go back the years, like 1979 or whatever, you know? <laughs> so uh, I don't think things are gonna immediately change, but after like a, maybe t- something as short as like two years, and then we, we see where else Enobusel is wanting to expand and the shape that takes, if they're better at expanding now than they have been in the past, I think that's a question that might have a really different answer. yeah Yeah. i definitely I, i definitely agree
1: with so much of that i mean i think trying to to capture and like wrap your arms around like there are reasons why the cbas were negotiated differently over the years right there are reasons why the women's national team prioritized stability over you know bigger payouts like all of that stuff is so important in this conversation and it is i think really hard to to hold all of that stuff all at the same time and you know, I think what we have seen in the end of the cell, especially in the case of women's national team players, is that the salaries are growing. I mean, you look at the deal for Trinity Rodman, even with the Washington Spirit, right? Like things are trending in a direction where the players are going to finally be able to bet on themselves in a more significant way and say, no, I want, you know, game day bonuses over some sort of regular salary. But I think. They're always going to have to have benefits that the men's national team don't ask for, like maternity benefits and all that kind of stuff. So there's always going to be factors that are not going to be exactly one to one. And I think that's going to be the very, again, interesting part of the CBA negotiation to roll out, because I think people think about equal as being this like perfect carbon copy of the same contract. And I don't think that's actually going to be how it plays out.
0: I think our brains went in literally the same direction because you were bringing up maternal benefits. And when you were talking about the teams, the men's and women's national teams leapfrogging each other and negotiating for benefits and seeing that the next team gets a benefit and being like, okay, we want that too, we'll push it. Some of the things you have to expand it out even further, like how in the United States, men and women are socialized to regard family and who's the primary caretaker. Like is the men's national team player association going to see the women being like, yeah, we achieved like you're uh, guaranteed this amount of parental leave, not just maternity leave, parental leave. And then being like, that's something that we want too," or are they going to not consider that like a hot topic for them just because in the United States and in many places, men are not Regarded as a primary caretaker, they can just go to work and then they have families at home to take care these things or stuff like negotiating for, um, you know, your health care to cover things like freezing your eggs is, you know, like with Becky Sauerbund, her whole journey is, you know, is Christian Pulisic ever going to care about that? I mean, theoretically, you would want them to, right? Because reproductive issues should affect like the whole family and everybody should be buying into like concern over the health of the person who's who's having a child or taking care of the child but in reality that's just not how we're socialized and you know once again that's a whole nother live room about like <laughs> presentation socialization in the united states but <laughs> this is, we're, we're going know.
1: really into podcasts <laughs> yeah
0: exactly <laughs> So, yeah, but once again, that's why it makes it so difficult to boil this down to like a black and white, equal white pay issue, because there's so many cultural and social and historical factors that have gone into creating a snapshot of where we are now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hashtag equal pay. And then it's actually a book that's a thousand pages long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's end it there. I want to say thank you to everyone who popped up on stage, everyone that tuned in. Again, this will be archived in the feed for full time with Meg Linehan. So if you missed it, if you want to send it to someone, please feel free. It should be up uh, relatively soon this afternoon. I'm sure we'll have plenty of follow-up coverage uh, later on today. There's a big Zoom happening at 5 p.m. Eastern. Steph, um, any closing comments? But also thank you for hanging out for an hour and doing it live.
0: Best meal I had in L.A. was at a place called Just Poke. They give you a pound of poke for like under $20. I just wanted to say that because I did say that I would say the best meal I ate. I I forgot.
1: And that is my fault. I was, I was a bad host. I needed to set you up for that. Very jealous that I was very much sitting on my bed for a week instead of being in LA, but very happy for your food and looking forward to hopefully walking in time to being present at angel City's home opener for the regular season. So everybody, Send good vibes to my entire lower left leg. Thank you in advance.